Good morning. Hi, Joseph. Thank you, Andrea, for um, reminding them what we've been talking about. When we uh, consider about what God's doing in our life and how we're moving forward and moving into our inheritance, we can be in a couple different places. We can feel totally afraid, overwhelmed. We could totally feel clueless about where, what God wants to do and how he wants to move us forward. Or we can also be so excited, so excited spiritually that your soul is so excited that you're trying to do things on your own. And so wherever we're at, God is moving in our lives and God is going to move us forward. So I have a couple messages for you today. My first one, my, my, the title of my message is, What is God Challenging You to Move Forward In? And uh, I just, uh, I felt like God gave me another short message before that. But it really, it really connects. And I was, as we've been talking about Joshua taking that next generation into the promised land, that I'm sure they, because God was moving them, they had different emotions and different feelings about what was happening. You know, you've been tracking with me the last few weeks. Some of them were excited that they were, they were going to actually move out of the place where they were in the wilderness. And some were a little bit apprehensive about the giants they were going to face. <clears throat> so we had that mixed emotions that we often go through. Maybe there's times where we feel like we're on the mountaintop. And then the next day we can feel like, where did you go, God? Those are the emotions that we deal with. That's the reality of our experience in our everyday life. And so um, I just want to talk a minute about coming to the end of ourselves. Are we really at the end of ourselves? There were, if you were in recovery or if you were been here in this church a while back, uh, one of the statements in recovery that was pretty regular, I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. That place where our emotions are a mess, our thinking is a mess, our spirit is so overwhelmed by our problems and our situations that we do not know where God is and we cannot tell where he's at. <clears throat> I think it's very hard for us to be powerless, especially when we're trying to generate an excitement about moving forward in our lives and moving forward as a congregation. It's a, it's a real challenge to have that balance of walking in God's power just generating a hyper soul excitement that really will not go anywhere or really coming to the end of ourselves and experiencing God's power. It seems like we have to be in a place where God is so much bigger than we are and God has to do so much more than what we can do because of who we are and what we know about ourselves. Jesus uh, invites us to strive. In Luke 13, 24, Jesus said, Strive to enter by the narrow door. Force yourself through it. For many, I tell you, will enter or try to enter and will not be able. Hebrews 4.11 says, Let us therefore be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter into the rest of God, to know and experience it for ourselves that no one may fall or perish by the same kind of unbelief and disobedience 
into which those in the wilderness fell. Again, the, referring to what we've been talking about, the children of Israel who came out of Egypt and saw great deliverances and saw great manifestations, but they died short of where God intended them to go. Do you strive to enter a rest with God? Do you strive to get to that place spiritually only to feel like you just fall flat on your face and you feel powerless? Hebrews 4.10 says, I don't know if you ever do this, but sometimes you read a scripture and you read in that natural flow. Sometimes it's so good to go back up above the verse you just read because it has even more impact. So we're, we're going to Hebrews 4.10. He who has once entered into God's rest also has ceased from his weariness and pain of human labors, just as God rested from those labors, peculiarly his own. It's interesting that God labored, Jesus labored, but at the end where he came to that place of seeming like a failure, when he died on the cross, it seemed like everything spiritual had failed. And yet in that place of his greatest work, when he laid down his life, opened up such an incredible spiritual power to come on the earth and flow through the lives of people that would bring the changes that we cannot get and could not maintain on our own. There's a few stories about people who have come to the end of themselves. A very familiar story, the prodigal. Luke 15, 13 through 19. The younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country. Even that itself, a journey Many of us are on different journeys where God is trying to get to us and we're dying to ourselves. Everything that we do is, seems powerless. Every move we make seems to bring more frustration to us. We cannot change ourselves. We cannot change the people we love or the people we care about. We're powerless. So this journey this young man was on is like a familiar journey we're all on at times. So he journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land. Is there a famine in your land today? Is there a famine in your heart? Is there a famine in your soul? Are you weary with everything going on? Are you troubled? Are you discouraged? Famines are good when you're with God because he does such a deeper work inside of you to get you ready for what only his power can do in your life. And he began to be in want. How many times as believers we find ourselves in places of want? Deep, crying to deep, a hunger for something that cannot be satisfied. That's all part of the journey of experiencing powerlessness that will release the power of the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do in our lives. The place of want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. How often we join ourselves to things and people and addictions and distractions to try to fill the emptiness, to try to, again, take power back in our life. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. Ever feel the anguish, the frustration, in your life, maybe anger because you can't change anything. No one gave him anything. How many times as a believer have you been in such a place? Maybe you've been a Christian a long time and you feel like nothing is breaking through for you. Nothing. 
God's not even giving you anything. No person's giving you anything. There's no prophetic word. There's no prophetic power. There's no miracles. And you're in that place and you're still agitated and frustrated. It's a good place to be. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? When he came to himself. There's just something happens in this journey of frustration and powerlessness that brings us to a place where we're able to let go. We're able to just melt away and find ourselves in the presence of God without any prayer, without any words, but a place of surrender and submission. A place in God's hand, the putty of your life, the clay of your life becomes so moldable that God can do what he wants to do. How many times we go through long periods of trials and testings? And what's that all about? God's trying to break through for us so that he can use us, so he can take us into something greater, beyond ourselves, beyond our limited focus and the attention of this world. The three things that God's working in our life as believers is faith, hope, and love. And it's a powerful experience, but it costs you your life. You have to keep dying to yourself. You have to keep experiencing the frustration of powerlessness. The frustration of knowing God has something for you, not being able to put your hands on it, not be able to grasp it. Our world and people who are popular in our world tell you go after your dreams and you know do all this and that. But so often those dreams fall short and they're elusive and they create a, a dissatisfaction and a, and a hopelessness. And for a believer, it creates great frustration. But I tell you, in the middle of all this, God has not left you. God has not let you go. He is going to bring you into the land. He's going to bring you into that place He has for you. So strive. Be angry. Be frustrated. Try with all your own effort to accomplish what you feel like God wants you to accomplish. Because in that journey, you're going to come to the end of yourself and you're going to experience the power of the Holy Spirit like you've never experienced Him before to bring you into that place that is impossible. The place where the enemy stands and says, you're not coming in. You're not coming in. You're not going to have this. This is not yours. God is going to push him out. God is going to have you possess that place. But it comes, again, out of powerlessness. What about the woman with the issue of blood? Luke 8, 43-44. And a woman who had suffered from a flow of blood for 12 years and had spent all her living upon physicians and could not be healed by anyone. Can you imagine the frustration? Can you imagine her frustration, her pain, her discomfort? Can you imagine how anemic she was? Unable to even feel normal. 12 years seeking rest, seeking an answer going from physician to physician, wanting help, wanting something to change. It could be an illness. It could be a relationship. It could be finances. It could be a job. It could be your family, your children. What journey have you been on? What have you tried? What's even in your mind to try next? All these are part of that thing that God's working to help you let go. And I know there's times, even in my own life, I'm so excited about God, and my soul gets excited about God. But even in that place, I cannot press in to something spiritually on my own. Flesh and blood 
blood do not inherit the kingdom of God. Just even a striving, strong soul for spiritual things will not bring us into that place that God has for us, but it's a place of surrender. It's a place of brokenness and surrender where we meet God and we find he's a loving Heavenly Father who picks us up and puts us in a place that is our inheritance. Have you spent all? Have you pursued all your options? Verse 44, the touch. She came up to him and touched the fringes of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood ceased. Was it the touch? That was the contact point, but she had to get to that place of receiving. And it was her brokenness. It was her emptiness. It was her futility in seeking all that she had sought to be healed. When she touched him, she was simply open to receive. Again, in that moment of time where she had come to the end of herself, it had prepared her for that moment to receive when she touched him. 2 Corinthians 4.11. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. God delivers us so that we can experience the Holy Spirit and His power. And Paul says this to all believers. For we who live are constantly experiencing and being handed over to death for Jesus' sake, that the resurrection life of Jesus also may be evidenced through our flesh, which is liable to death. Again, that transition. That God tells us every day, Jesus says every day, pick up your cross, die to yourself, follow me, so that you can experience the resurrection life. So you can be able to tell people what it is to know the power of the Holy Spirit and raising you up again and again and again. I just love what you said, Rick. I never thought about the eight times you get up. The righteous man falls seven times, but that means he got up eight times. That was impacting. The cross stands before us every day as believers to follow Jesus. But there's a promise in that cross for resurrection life if we pick it up. If we say, you know what, God, I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to trust you with my life. Even though it doesn't look good, even though I don't see any benefits, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to die to myself. Yeah, there's times we can kill ourselves because deep down inside we're trying to manipulate God. We're trying to enhance the process and speed it up a little bit. Oh, how many times we, we try to kill ourselves. Only another person, only Jesus can, can crucify us. We can take up that cross, but it's Jesus who causes the death process in us to work. Again, past all of our, manipu- our manipulation, our ways of trying to work things out. Some of us have really strong personalities where we can manipulate people or we can force our will onto people. Others of us may be more laid back, maybe a little passive. I tell you, in God's hands, our personalities can really find their best expression as we surrender to God and let him move us forward. 
we can touch Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.16 We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. So even in that place of agony, even in that place of frustration, God sees it. Just like he saw Israel when they were in bondage for those 430 years. He was watching the process. He initiated the cry in their heart where they had had enough. They had come to the end of themselves 430 years, generation after generation after generation. And he saw they were getting to that place where he could release them into the promised land. Receiving Jesus. John 1, 12. To as many as did receive and welcome Jesus, he gave the authority and power, the privilege, the right to become the children of God. That is to be those who believe in, adhere to, trust in, and rely on his name. That's power. Again, when we come to the end of ourselves, there's such a place of humility and surrender. There's no more fight left in us. And sometimes we might think when we get to that place, well, wow, the enemy's beating me. But it's a place of surrender inside of yourself, in your heart, in your soul. It's a surrender that's in the secret place with you and God where you know he is holding you. You're in a safe place in that place of surrender with God because nothing can touch you in that place of being vulnerable. Only empowerment comes. Only strength of the Holy Spirit comes. Only real change comes from that place. Zechariah 4, 6. Human strength or human willpower cannot help us. The word of the Lord came to Zerubbabel, saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, of whom the oil is a symbol, says the Lord of hosts. Trials sometimes seem so long that they remain because of our strong self-will. Surrender comes at the cost of our self-will. I see something I see something that needs to really continue to happen by the Holy Spirit in our lives. <clears throat> and that's the love of God working in us. Working in our personal relationships and our families working in the people around us because the world is getting more unloving, more uncaring, more selfish. We see more selfishness on the road. We more, see more selfishness and impatience and people promoting themselves because they see such a dog-eat-dog world that they know if they don't push through and take care of themselves, someone's going to trample over them and someone's going to get what, what they're trying to get. And so the challenge for us as believers is to get offended to get angry with people and to want to retaliate and to want to act just in our flesh like we see them act. But I believe God is challenging believers to walk in a higher calling. This is Philippians 3.14. The Apostle Paul wrote reminding us to press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And what is that call? From the very beginning in the Old Testament, when God declared what he wanted from us, he said, you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your might and all of your strength. And that call is over us as believers, but it's empowered by the Holy Spirit in dying to ourself and dying to our self-will and being powerless when we say, I'm not going to defend myself. 
I'm not going to retort with, a, with an angry word or an unloving comment, but I'm going to forgive and I'm going to walk in love. That is the high calling that, that Paul is reminding us that the Holy Spirit is resident in our heart. Romans 5 says that the Holy Spirit has been released in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is there like a powerful engine just in neutral waiting for you to put it in gear. When you have the temptation to uh, give a, a negative response, when you have the temptation to hold unforgiveness and instead you give love, you are beating the enemy and you are promoting the kingdom of God and you are walking into that high calling of God. You're released, when you release the love of God, you release spiritual power in a dark world. You displace dynamics of the demonic powers that Satan wields against relationships against people. You displace evil when you walk in love. And in the natural, it seems like you're losing, you're being defeated. But just like all those apostles died as martyrs and died walking in love, who walked into a greater victory? It was those apostles. They walked into the heavenly kingdom. This kingdom and this world and the demonic powers, every day that goes by, they're a shorter amount of time that they have. And they're facing a greater starting of their time in eternity where they're going to suffer for everything they've done. Let's not help them out. Let's give love. Let's walk in that high, high calling. And I just take that, that moment decision because the Holy Spirit's going to help you to realize, I don't have to defend myself. I am righteous by the blood of Jesus. I stand before a holy God. I walk and I live in his presence because he lives inside of me. And nothing can stop me. Nothing can hinder me because God loves me and God's for me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? Philippians uh, 3.13, we're backing up one. Paul goes on, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which lie ahead. The love of God, that lies ahead. An eternity with God our Father lies ahead for us. So why don't we bring heaven down to earth right now? Why don't we keep walking in love? Why don't we keep forgiving? Why don't we keep pressing in? to those places that have caused us to have bitterness. I believe relationships are going to be healed even this week by determining to forgive those who have hurt and wounded us, by acting different to co-workers and people who don't really deserve it, but they deserve because Jesus died, and we're going to be examples of love to them. We're going to pray for those who'd use us and despitefully uh, talk about us and criticize us. We're not going to give ourselves to gossip because it's not God's love. We're going to say the thing that's part of the higher road. Remember, Jesus taught believers how to walk. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Therefore, be imitators of God as your children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us and offering a sacrifice of, to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. We know when we get angry, let a few curse words sweat, fly that that is not a sweet aroma. That creates a demonic aroma. That creates, it says, where there was ever envy and strife, wherever that's, that kind of things happen, when you begin to curse and begin to say negative words, you create energy for the demonic activity and it increases and it almost like rallies around. Just like if you see a fight. Remember we used to see fights at school? And it'd be like this tornado, this vacuum. You see everybody rushing to see it. In the de demonic realm, when we talk in negative, when we're, we're talking hateful, when we're creating bitter words, 
we're creating a demonic activity that creates even more hatred. It generates, it throws wood on the fire to whatever causes us to be hateful. But when we begin to forgive and walk in love, we create a positive spiritual atmosphere where the Holy Spirit surrounds and God breaks out and sweeps away and pushes back the dark forces that are trying to create more problems and division and hatred. 1 Corinthians 13.7 God's love hears all things. God's love believes all things. God's love hopes all things. God's love endures all things. God's love can carry you through when you're giving a positive response when you really want to go negative. And those negative emotions will, will go away. They'll, they'll just kind of like get put out like a fire as you, as you do the right thing, walk in love. You might have to walk in love and then get away and say, oh God, that was so hard. That was so hard. I wanted to just jump on him and I wanted to give him a good word and stab him in the heart. <laughs> those emotions will subside though when you do the right thing, when you start practicing walking in love and letting God come out of you. Our key verse for today, possessing our inheritance, is Matthew 6.33. But seek, aim at, and strive after, first of all, his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right. Then all these things taken together will be given you besides. I was just thinking about my inheritance. I was thinking about the seven jobs I had. You know, and sometimes when you're on your way to your inheritance, you're looking and trying to examine, you know, what's actually happening that you can fulfill what's, what's your heart's desire. And God really wants to work to give you your heart's desire here. He, he works with our desires as we're putting him first and pledging and honoring our commitment to God to live for him first. But because we don't always see where we're going, you can get distracted or think you're not really getting your inheritance, which is natural and spiritual. And I thought of my commitment to God from an early age that when I started working, being that janitor of my first five and a half years, I would have never thought I was moving towards a heart goal that I had. And after five and a half years, I started being a utility man, which was just a day janitor with a different title. And then I realized, well, I'm still doing the same thing. And I prayed, and God opened another door in these two weeks, and I became uh, a material handler, where I worked in a, in a boneyard, taking in scrap and putting stuff in bins and uh, taking in all kinds of junk. And I worked in a half a day in a company store where I issued parts to the electronics people. Then I worked in shipping and receiving in a Sunnyvale plant. Then I became a lead man over company stores, shipping and receiving. Then I became a box builder uh, and worked in shipping. And then my seventh job was my heart dream job of starting to drive. But I would never, if I was to look at each job, I would have been very discouraged that I was moving towards something that God wanted to give me from my heart. Again, God has spiritual inheritances for us, and he has natural inheritances for us. But wherever you, you're at, you have to start your journey and trust God. But I tell you, in God's timing, God will open the door. So I worked at my company for, the, it was seven years before I began to 
work at the job that I really wanted in my heart. And I want to encourage you to keep following the Lord and keep serving Him where you're at. Because He starts us right where we're at, but He has a great inheritance for us. He has many precious promises that He wants to bring to fulfillment in our life. But it takes us to keep walking in faith right where we're at. Maybe you have huge disappointments. Maybe there's been great trauma, trial, loss in your life. And you think, how can I ever move past this? I tell you, with God, it is not impossible. That he has a future and he has a hope. And it begins each day of our life. And each day as we follow him, we get a little closer to the eternity he has for us. I want to ask you a little trivia question. How many people that were in the 40 years of wilderness, how many people got to go into the promised land of that generation? How many? Anybody else have any different? Okay. Did you know there was a third person that went into the promised land? It was Joshua, Caleb, and Eleazar. In Joshua 14, 1 through 5, we have some kind of some explanations of what happened. Actually, go to um, Numbers 20, 25 and through 28. Now, this was just towards the end of the transition when God was getting ready to move the children of Israel into the wilderness, from the wilderness into the promised land. And we know the transition happened where Aaron died first, and then Moses got to see the promised land, and then they, they were going to go in under Joshua's, Joshua's leadership. So Moses commands, Get Aaron and his son Eleazar and take them up Mount Hor. Remove Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eleazar, for Aaron will be gathered to his people, and he will die. Moses did as the Lord commanded, they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of the whole community. Moses removed Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eleazar. And Aaron died there on the top of the mountain, and Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. There was a credible spiritual transition in this. Again, Eleazar was kind of like Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb had followed the Lord, and they, were, they went in, and they were going to be those warriors to go into the promised land. They were part of that and of those 10 spies that went in and said, we can do it. Yeah, the giants are big, but oh, the fruit is so much bigger. And they did not get to go in because of that generation that was fearful. But God was already working a spiritual work, even from, uh, from Aaron's time. This son, Eleazar, had grown up in that priesthood, in, in that family. And he, he was part of the sanctuary and keeping of the spiritual activity around the, the children of Israel that kept them walking with God and that kept the presence of God there. And so Eleazar saw uh, his two brothers who, who offered the strange fire during the wilderness and were destroyed in, in the wilderness. And Eleazar grew up strong under, under his father Aaron. And God passes the mantle of spiritual leadership onto him over the house of God that was going to be moving now through the ark and going into the promised land. 
And it's interesting how God raises up leaders and God raises up people who have dedication to him. He raised up priests to serve. And all of us through Jesus Christ are called kings and priests. And so as we have the opportunity to press forward and move into our promised land, we kind of like examples like Eleazar. There was just those three people that went out of that horrible wilderness time that got to go into the land. We represent the freedom in God through Jesus Christ that can all, we all can go into our promised land. We all can be part of raising up another generation of leaders who can see the promised land and experience what God has for them. But it's our excitement. It's how we link in our faith with God. It's how we recognize what God wants to do and what he wants to change as we surrender those different areas in our life that keep us from experiencing his promised land. That's what's going to make the difference in our own life. If you read Joshua uh, 14, 1 through 5, specifically it talks about how Eliezer was part of helping the people uh, get their land. Now these are the areas of the Israelites received as an inheritance in the land of Canaan, which Eliezer the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the heads of the tribal clans of Israel allotted to them. Their inheritances were assigned by Lot, to the nine and a half tribes as the Lord had commanded through Moses. Moses had granted the two and a half tribes their inheritance east of Jordan, but had not granted the Levites an inheritance among the rest. For Joseph's descendants had become two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. The Levites received no share of the land, but only towns to live in, with pasture lands for their flocks and herds. So the Israelites divided the land just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So we see this thing that's being generated. They're starting to move into their land. They're starting to possess their inheritance. There's a great excitement. They're not passive and inactive anymore. They're just really getting on fire for what God's doing. Joshua 24, 29-30. Now it came to pass after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnah in Syrah, which is the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gaish. So we've already gone through, they've already been inheriting and enjoying their inheritance, and so Joshua is passing away, now Eleazar passes. And Eleazar, son of Aaron, died and was buried in Gibeah, which had been allotted to his son Phinehas in the hill country of Ephraim. Judges 2, 6 and 7. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and all the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. This is a sad scripture. Judges 2, 10 through 11. After the whole congregation had been gathered to their descendants, Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served Baal. It is interesting that God raises up leaders and they have experiences that all those elders that saw the, the work that was done in possessing the inheritance were behind Joshua. And when he died, because of what they experienced, because of their own personal walk with God, those elders help that group of people continue to follow the Lord. But when those elders died off, that next generation 
because they didn't have a personal experience, because something happened that there wasn't a transfer of what God was doing into that next generation, they went into this place of rebellion against God. We have a challenge over us, in us. You know, we have a challenge. Some of you are in families where you're just coming to God and you have maybe family members who haven't had the same benefits. Now you're coming to the Lord. And there's a challenge to have those family members and people around us know who God is. And I really feel like the Holy Spirit wants to excite us and bring us encouragement that he wants to do demonstrations for our young people. He wants to do something in our, in our generations that will profoundly affect them because if they're experiencing God, they're going to have a great faith that will help them pass on what God's doing in their lives. Will you stand with me? We just have a couple of minutes left. And if you need prayer, people can pray for you. We're not going to do a, just a, a real belabored worship time or anything right now. But... I want you to get excited about what God's doing in your life. I want you to get excited about what God would say to you personally and spiritually. I want you to get excited because God has a, has a, has a destiny for you, a natural destiny and a spiritual destiny because he wants to bless you in such a way that you are experiencing God, you are knowing him, and it's being transferred to the people around you. God wants to pour into you of his presence. And if you need prayer today or you, maybe you're here and you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life to start this junior journey, people will pray with you today. God bless you.